The Big Blue Box Podcast, Episode 5. Hello, I'm the Doctor. Hello Who fans, coming to you from somewhere in space and time. This is the Big Blue Box Podcast, thank you very much for joining me. Hope you guys have had a good week and enjoyed episode 4. Coming up in today's show we've got the usual uh, newsy roundup. Um, in this episode's TARDIS talk we're going to be talking about um, an article that I read recently about starting your Doctor Who collection and the different methods and, um, and ways that you can do that. And in this week's uh, classic retrospective, we're going to be talking about Planet of the Spiders with John Pertwee. So let's crack on with the news. So first up in the news this week, um, I found this really, really cool um, uh, Doctor Who parody video that seems to be doing the rounds at the moment on uh, YouTube and all of the other uh, Doctor Who sites and so on. And it's by um, it's by this this uh, sister, uh, two sisters. Um, they run this show called The Hillywood Show. Um, which you can check out at thehillywoodshow.com. And, uh, yeah, so they've done, like, these other cool um, uh, big movie uh, parodies. They've, they've, I think they've got Pirates of the Caribbean coming up, and they've done some other um, very cool ones. But the Doctor Who one is really well done. I, I was surprised that... Because when, normally when you see um, Doctor Who parodies or anything of that nature, like fan films and that kind of stuff, it's normally quite a low-budget affair, and it's... Um, Although although some of them are quite entertaining and it's quite cool, uh, this one seems to have like a like a really good almost broadcast quality budget and it's um the props are like just um, really really well done and um and it's just really funny that that's the best thing about it it's really really funny so um, the concept is they've taken the um, the old classic song the time warp and they've you know it kind of fits you know the overall. The wording and the the vibe of the song is, is suits Doctor Who very well. So they've taken that song, and they've um, they they've made this music video essentially around it, and it's really really funny. I'm going to put a link in the show notes to it, so you can go and check it out if you haven't seen it already. Um, and one of the things that I found really really good about it was, uh, I, I I honestly thought that it was David Tennant uh, doing the 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 voiceover and and the song. Because whoever they've got to do the voice of David Tennant is really, really good. Um, I, I don't think that because it was weird. Because a part of me thought, no, 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 Dave, David Tennant wouldn't be involved in something like this. Although he's very much, very much about the show still and doesn't shy away at all from anything to do with Doctor Who. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that he would do. But there are a few phrases within the within the video that are just spot on I'd, I'll have to find out the, the name of the person who did the voice for that but it's um it's actually quite scary um, how accurate some of the phrases are like um when he shouts a Lonzi like that that first part of the song where he's quite calm and just talking as as, as David Tennant would as the doctor it's very very cool um, and the basis for the for the whole video is actually David Tennant it's um it's him in the brown suit and stuff and it's got all the it's got Martha in there. It's got Donna Rose, and it's all just—it's like key points from from the David Tennant era that they've kind of replayed in this video. And then it's got like a big stage production. It cuts from like these various like key scenes throughout David Tennant's era to like this big like um, West End or uh, uh, show kind of scene. It's um, like loads of extras all in Doctor Who costumes, and they're really well done. It's got Daleks in it, everything. 
So I think, you know, it looks like they've thrown a ton of money at it and uh, it's just really, really cool. So um, go and check that out. It's really, really funny. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to. Allons-y! I remember doing the time walk. Uh, next bit of news for you guys. We've got um, some more classic who coming to TV. It's not in the UK, but over in the US, you guys will be uh, glad to hear that you've got a load of classic who coming up um, on an, on an American network called Retro TV. I've not heard of it before, um, but the actual concept sounds really, really cool. I wish we had something like this in the UK um, where they play all these really cool classic shows. And we've got a channel called... Um, I think I think it's still called Gold, UK Gold, um, but it's not kind of uh, you know you, you really have to kind of keep in tune with it to find out when stuff's coming on. But this uh, this retro TV sounds very very cool. So at some point throughout the summer, um, I, I don't know exactly when, um, but you guys are going to get a load of classic Who, which is very cool. And we had a similar thing here in the UK um, uh, started a, f- a few months ago now. On we've got a channel called the Horror Channel. And um, it's kind of, it's not really, it's not all kind of horror. It's, there's a lot of sci-fi on there as well. But um, they had this like big, uh, big event to launch Doctor Who on. A, it was called Who on Horror. Um, and we've had some really, really good classic stuff on there. Um, and it was only literally this morning I finished uh, watching Planet of the Spiders, which I'm going to talk about later, which I didn't pick up on DVD. I recorded it um, on the horror channel. Um, so hopefully you guys will be able to get some really good Who stuff. As far as I know, there's going to be n- none of the um, Doctor Who from 2005. This is all just classic Who. Um, but nevertheless, it's a very cool thing if you're into your Doctor Who, um, your classic years, and you maybe haven't seen them all, or you want to start getting into the classic stuff, but you don't really want to invest in a load of um, DVDs. This is a very cool thing. So um, I'll let you guys know the date when I find out, but at the moment it's just summer. So that could be anything from um, in a couple of months' time to through a three months' time, I'm not sure, but I will let you know. And lastly, in this new section we have, um, you guys have probably seen, if you haven't, then uh, you've probably been under a rock somewhere, but uh, the BBC have released a new trailer for Series 8. Yay, Series 8, Capaldi. Um, it's it's only a short trailer, I must admit. It wasn't... I When, when they said they released a trailer, I was expecting a trailer. Um, whereas to me, this is more of a promo because it's literally only, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds long. Um, and all you really see is the, the silhouette of Peter Capaldi in the TARDIS um, with some like dramatic music and stuff. So while, while it's very cool and it shows that... Um, uh, you know the BBC want to keep our interest. Uh, not that they have to for Who fans to be, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, you know, just to keep us interested in what's going on. And they've released it. I'm not going to call it a trailer anymore because, you know, it's not really a trailer. Um, it's more of like a little promo spot. 
Um, so they've released this promo. It's very, very cool. Um, and it's it's just another pose, really, for Capaldi that we haven't seen because the only thing that we've got from him so far is um, the, the regeneration stuff um, <clears throat> from last year. And we've got some set photos where fans have been able to meet him and stuff and taking photos and that kind of thing. And we've had the publicity shot with him in his costume. So this is just another pose and another look um, to add to that kind of little collection, really, before the series starts. And talking of this series start, it's going to be in August at some point. Um, now, we haven't gotten a, a definitive date as yet, um, but we do know it's definitely going to start in August, which is great news because we're in now the end of May. Um, so we've only really got two months and then we're into August, so I'm not sure when. I'm hoping it's going to be kind of mid-August, um, which will be very cool. Um, so yeah, Series 8, it's upon us almost. We've just a little bit longer to hang in there until we get it. But um, for me personally, I think Series 8 is going to be um, absolutely brilliant because I'm really looking forward to Capaldi more than anything. I think he's going to be a, a really, really good Doctor and I can't wait to see um, what he brings to that role and, and what he makes the show. Um, so that's going to be really cool. And that wraps up the news. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is very cool. Bow ties are cool. In previous um, podcasts, um, you would have um, heard me reference this section of the show as just discussion or what I feel about whatever. So I, I thought this section needed a bit of more of a more of a proper title, really. So um, I'm going to label these sections of the podcast where I just get my uh, my feelings out and my little rants and whatever it might be. I'm just going to label these up as TARDIS talk, uh, which is simple enough. Um, so this episode's TARDIS talk. It's going to be about Doctor Who merchandise and um, starting your collection and that kind of thing. And I was I was been thinking about this for about a week now after I read an article from a particular website, and the article was titled um, "How to Start Your Own Doctor Who Collection," which I thought was very cool. And essentially, it's just like a checklist of things that you want to that you want to try and do, and you know, it tries to help you make decisions around you know what type of collection you want to make and you know, where to start and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, for the most part, I think it's a very, very good article. I think it covers a lot of basics that if you haven't really got much in the way of Doctor Who, of a Doctor Who collection, and you want to get into that or you want to start making your collection larger and get more stuff, um, I think it has got some really good points. Like, for example, point one is um, focus on where you want to start, um, which goes through things like, you know, focus on what, on what you want to collect rather than trying to copy what um, what other people are, are, are doing. Um, and it just reminds you that, you know, collecting is a very personal thing and there's no right or wrong and that sort of stuff. So that's very cool. And then it goes on to um, decide early if you'll be a hands-on or a mint-in-box collector. So I kind of see the value in that if you want to, if you want to um, start collecting stuff that you can actually uh, pick up and move and make displays with and all that kind of stuff. Or if you want to just be like a the collector where you, you kind of go for more higher value stuff that's still, you know, unopened boxes and stuff that you feel might um, hold some value um, in later years, I can understand that. Then it moves on to um, large quantity versus high quality, which is a similar thing. And then point number four, there are actually um, six points. Um, I'll come back to point number four in a second because that's the one that I had my biggest kind of thought process on. So number five was was to keep a list of what you want to add to your collection, 
which is yeah kind of um, and number six was um, find a place to show off your new collection which uh, which is kind of a given really I don't I don't see anyone would I don't see why you would invest plenty of money into a Doctor Who collection to keep it in the cupboard or anything like that so that's kind of a given really um, yeah but point number four which is the one that kind of had me thinking the most and I didn't while I agree with it to an extent I I kind of challenged it you know in my own mind a little bit and point number four is buy your Doctor Who merchandise online now I overall I honestly don't have a problem with that because I, I haven't got the biggest um, Doctor Who collection in the world it's it's okay but I haven't got certainly not the biggest collection and I would say about half of that well maybe a third of that is stuff that I've personally bought online um, the rest of it is stuff that I've bought out in the real world um, and it kind of got me thinking a lot about this and I thought well you know do you really want to buy all of your merchandise online you know is there because and I'm not talking about the obvious um, benefits and stuff of just generally buying stuff online because that could apply to anything not just Doctor Who merchandise and your collection but you know just generally shopping online um, I think you know we're all aware of the benefits of that so you know you can normally find stuff online cheaper um, there's a whole kind of uh, review and rating system for websites which can be useful um, so if you if you're looking at something in particular and you think you're umming and on a little bit sometimes reading a review can tip you over um, to buying that or it can kind of swing you the other way and you're like right I'm glad I didn't buy it now uh, and there's also things like you know you don't have to you can be a bit of a lazy kind of shopper online you don't really have to go anywhere you can get stuff delivered out to you so you know this kind of all that kind of stuff about buying online it does apply to just general shopping as well but some of the points that they raise is like one of the points that they they've put in there is um, online stores tend to have a much wider range which is kind of true I guess not a lot of shops will stock a lot of Doctor Who stuff unless you go to a dedicated shop which I'll come on to in a little while one of the points that they raise in this is um, you know that online stores don't have any overheads to pay so they can pass that saving on to the consumer which is not always true but um, I guess that does apply mainly online but there's two things that you know that I didn't really sit pretty with me the first one was uh, retail stores have hundreds of customers walk in every day and manhandle the stock which leads to ruined packaging amongst other things now um, I don't know what those other things are um, but that's true of anything you know you can't just in, in this particular article you can't apply the benefits of online shopping to Doctor Who merchandise um, but then you know not apply the same to other stuff that you would buy in a shop so it's not just Doctor Who merchandise that applies to anything and I don't think this kind of holds much water because you know outside of things like the BBC uh, Doctor Who experience in Cardiff where they've got a gift shop um, and some other bits and pieces the only other merchandise that you would find in a retail shop would be th something like toy shops like Toys R Us and that kind of stuff where that's not really kind of that's kind of toys you know what I mean it's not really it's not really collectibles as such. Morning, Dr. Dixon here. Now, this would be enough for uh, most Doctor Who fans, but uh, for our collector this morning, well, he likes to do things on a bigger scale. Meet his family of Daleks and Cybermen. And this, I promise you, is just the beginning of his collection. Hi, my name's Peter, and I've got a huge passion for Doctor Who. <laughs> Doctor Who. 
My house is like a mini museum. Everywhere you turn, there's Doctor Who memorabilia or Doctor Who stuff. You would expect that anyway, so that's kind of a moot point. And then they they kind of close this article off by saying, buying your Doctor Who stuff online is a must for anyone starting a new collection because you get your merchandise for a lot cheaper, which means you can grow your collection a lot faster. And that really kind of, you know, I, I, I actually wrote a comment on this post and I'll give you the link afterwards, but um, there's no reason why, why, because if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy your Doctor Who stuff online, that's absolutely fine. I have no issue with that at all. But, you know, building up your collectibles and your collection is not a is not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. It's something that, you know, you take pride in building up over time. And this article kind of, it it's kind of like you need to get online now. You need to spend loads of money. You need to get your collection up and running as soon as possible. And it's not... You know that's not really. If you're a true collector, you'll 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 probably disagree with that as well. There's no point in just shedding out a a ton of money to get a load of Doctor Who stuff collected for you to then just put it on the shelf and say, right, that's you know my collection started. I've got a load of stuff. Great, because there's no. You need to take your time with it. You know, it's not like it's not like you have to get your collection in as soon as possible. And this article kind of gives off that vibe a little bit on this point anyway. Um, which leads me on to some of the things that I've experienced when I've picked up a few collectibles myself, and I'm so glad that I didn't buy them online because I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two examples of of buying stuff n- not online um, and the benefits of those. The first one is buying stuff at conventions. Um, now, if you go to any convention, whether it's a general sci-fi or whatever, um, there's always loads and loads of stalls. Um, there's a couple of conventions that I go to in the UK. One of them is called Collector Mania, uh, which is run um, uh, in Milton Keynes. And the other one is the London Film and Comic Con, which is run obviously in London, plus a few other small ones that I go to as well. But at all of these conventions, there's always loads and loads of stalls with people selling um, collectibles, general merchandise, clothing, all that type of stuff. For pretty much the you know the same or similar price that you would find them online, um, because it's not like they have to go into, you know, it's not like they're selling like retail prices. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are certain things there, and if you're listening to this and you've been to conventions, you've probably seen them where you think, well, that isn't that much cheaper or any cheaper at all than me ordering it off Amazon or whatever. You can find some really good deals there, and also you've kind of got you've got that marketplace kind of vibe as well where. You, you can attempt to haggle with people you know if you find something cool and it's like 50 quid you can say you know I've, I've got a budget of 40 for this will you take 40 and um, you know a lot of a lot of stores will, will do that because they just want to you know they want to sell something and not at all and also at conventions you've got the benefit of you know mingling with other like-minded fans um, you know you've got a load of cosplayers you know really into Doctor Who and you can you know, it's just a really good atmosphere and a good vibe. And secondly, the people who run these stores, they're usually really cool to chat to. I mean, a couple of times when I've been there and I've purchased stuff, I've ended up spending like five minutes or so just talking to people who run the store um, and, you know, just getting into a conversation about Doctor Who and whatever. So that's the first one. If you can get out to some conventions, they're really, really cool and they can be some great, great collectibles that you can pick up there. And secondly, there are some very cool shops um, for Doctor Who which are absolute gold mines and real gems and there's 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 a shop 
um, which I haven't been to. It's on the Isle of Wight, and I cannot remember the life of me. I'll put it in the show notes for you, um, which apparently is very, very good. Um, but the, the the store that I want to, to mention, which is really, really good, is called The Who Shop, and it's in London. It's right next door to uh, West Ham's football ground. Um, it's kind of in an unlikely part of London. You wouldn't you wouldn't imagine that that shop would be in that part of London. It's kind of it's kind of weird. It's in a, it, you wouldn't expect it to be in that part of London, but nevertheless, it's a really really good shop, and um, it mainly focuses on um, the classic side of Doctor Who. I mean, it has a lot of modern stuff in there in terms of merchandise. Um, it does have a lot of stuff in there, but for me, the best thing about that shop is the atmosphere and the vibe and the experience is just so good. The people who run that shop, it's a really lovely couple and some nice young lads who run that shop and their knowledge of Doctor Who is just mind-blowing, especially the classic stuff. And they've actually got a museum there as well. And don't get me wrong, it's not huge, but the stuff that they've got in there is really, it's like a it's just a, a, a Doctor Who friend of mine referenced it as an Aladdin's cave. And that really is um, how, how you would describe it, really. Um, so it's not the biggest shop in the world, but the stuff that they have in there is just so good. They've got a really good range of T-shirts and uh, their clothing stuff is really good. You won't find a lot of those T-shirts online anywhere. Um, loads and loads of classic Who stuff, books that you wouldn't see. They, they stock a load of books that have been... Um, out for years and out of print and stuff they stock all that stuff um, they've got the museum there it's really cool and just homeware you know loads of different stuff and it's just a really good a really good experience going for a shop there and what I was saying earlier about um, being at conventions and having a chat with people there it's kind of a, it's the same vibe in that shop um, you know you don't just go in there and you look for something you pay for it and leave you know they they like to they're very chatty in there they like to talk to you about stuff and you kind of just get drawn into this conversation about anything to do with Doctor Who really and it's really really cool and you can definitely find some stuff in there that you won't find online so to kind of summarize this section it's kind of you know while I agree to an extent that yes buying your Doctor Who stuff online is a good way to go it does have its benefits you know I can definitely see that because I myself I do shop online for that stuff I'm not just going to say you know you should never shop online never you know it's, it's not like that at all I I agree mostly that you can buy stuff online you know and it's it's great however don't disre- disregard the benefits of getting out there and going to places and talking to people because you know especially for collectors you'll find that you'll you'll be talking to people and you'll be made aware of stuff that you you weren't you didn't realize was out there um so if you're talking to you know if you're out at a convention somewhere and you end up talking to somebody about a certain collectible they might have something or know of something that you didn't know about and then you might want to go out and try and find that and stuff so you know just don't don't be closed off to the world and just sit there in front of your computer and order stuff because it kind of takes the fun out of it just a little bit you know i would definitely recommend going out talking to people you know looking for your stuff in the flesh and building your collection that way so i'd be interesting to see actually what your thoughts are on this on how you pick up your collectibles and merchandise and stuff like that and what would be cool if you went to um went over to my facebook page um facebook.com forward slash big blue box podcast um put some photos of your collection so i can see you know 
what you guys are collecting at the moment and your you know just show off your collections a little bit and then just a small note tell me you know how you got it did you get it all online did you go out and get it did you mix and match um, so I'd be really interested to find out yes that wraps up TARDIS talk so this week's classic uh, retrospective is John Pertwee's Planet of the Spiders hello Sarah Jane stop don't do that let him approach you will kneel to the most noble queen the queen Oh, yes. Yes, of course. Uh, greetings, O oh most noble queen. Uh, may I ask what you intend to do with this young lady? You do not speak like a two-leg. Where have you come from? Uh, both Miss Smith and I come from Earth, your lady. From Earth? Then you are the one who... No. No, that cannot be. We shall return. Bring this two-leg. We shall question him with the female. So another Pertwee uh, story for you. Um, we've been kind of getting into the Pertwee stuff um, over the last few weeks. I, I think I've mentioned before that yeah, uh, John Pertwee's not my not my favourite of doctors, um, should we say? And that's not um, that's not a criticism to to John Pertwee in any way. Um, it's just I, in terms of the classic years, I, I've you know I've got my my more likable doctors that I prefer to watch. Um, and their stories and stuff, but since I've been watching a few of the Pertwee stuff, um, I've actually got into it a little bit, and I, I don't actually mind him as, as the Doctor as much as I thought I did. And some of his stories are cracking. Inferno uh, is one of my favourite classic Doctor Who stories, actually, which is a Pertwee one. Spearhead from Space. Those two stories are one are probably you know two of my... They go into my top ten um, in terms of classic Who. And so I thought I'd check out some other Pertwee stuff. And literally just this morning, I've finished up watching um, Planet of the Spiders. Now, this one is good. It's another it's another good story. It's well written. Um, and I'll keep it brief because this one is actually split over um, six episodes, I believe. They're only they're only 25 minutes each. But, um, you know, it's uh, the, the majority of the... I think with the exception of Genesis of the Daleks and a couple of others... As far as I remember, the last few kind of serials that I've watched have been four-parters. So this one's over six parts. It was um, it was released back in 1974, um, back in May, and um, and yeah. So it's it's John Pertwee's final story as the Doctor. This is his uh, his his he bows out of the role in this one, and it's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a muted Doctor Who story to me. There wasn't much in the way of big epic moments there wasn't much in the way of um like huge action scenes or anything like that you know there's a little there's a there's a few kind of rough and tumble bits but you know overall i found it quite an understated and a muted um uh, story but one of the things that kind of echoes that is john pertwee's performance as this is his last one um he's kind of got that vibe where the only the only way that i can describe it is when you've finished school or you've finished a particular job, you don't feel any pressure for anything. Um, it's kind of like, well, why was I, you know, for all those years during high school or for those years that I was at a particular job, you know, why did I feel that pressure? You know, now I'm leaving. I don't feel any, you know. So it, it kind of has that, he has that very confident, you know, quiet confidence about him in this one, very assured, very um, like, you know, my my job's done kind of thing. 
Um, and that really does come out in his performance. Um, in some of the other episode uh, stories that I've watched with Pertwee, uh, he's been very, um, a bit more, not erratic, but um, a bit more active, uh, a bit more, um, a bit more random, randomness to his performance. Whereas this one was very calm and collected throughout the whole thing, really. Even when there were points where, you know, he thought his game was up um, and when he was under attack by certain things, um, even then he was still very pretty calm about things and and uh, and yeah so I, I, I just got that feeling that he was you know as it was his last one he didn't really feel like the pressure was on um, in like the first part of his era um, so companion wise uh, Sarah Jane Smith um, she's actually pretty cool in this um, there was one point where she was actually quite scary which was when she was um, when her mind was taken over by one of the spiders um, so she was quite cool. Um, supporting cast, uh, not too bad. Um, the Brigadier was back. He didn't really have a big part in it, to be honest with you. Um, but Nicholas Courtney, I really like him as the Brigadier. He's been very cool. I really liked him in Inferno, actually. Um, yeah, so he was very cool. Um, and then the supporting cast, there was a questionable, a questionable casting, um, in terms of um, a, a guy called Can Po, uh, which kind of had a slight, um, a slight kind of racial thing going on. I'm not quite sure why they cast um, uh, a, a typically British actor to play that kind of role. I'm not quite sure on that one. Um, and other than that, it was um, the supporting cast were okay. Um, essentially, it was four or five. Sorry, five or six um, uh, gentlemen that, uh, like typical 70s guys, really. The acting wasn't too bad with those guys, you know, but they, you know, they did what they what they had to do. There was one guy um, who was quite cool, um, the character called Tommy. He was uh, played by, by John Kane, and he starts off in the story as this kind of simpleton. He's, he's a, he doesn't really know how to read, and he's a bit... One of the one of life's simple uh, sort of people, um, but uh, due to him uh, being exposed to something, he then turns into quite an intellectual guy, and you know he's actually he plays kind of a, a childlike figure almost, where he's very um, innocent, and you know there's no there's not a bad bone in his body really, and that comes through in the latter, latter half of the story where he's quite brave and stuff. So I, I really like that character, and yet like I said, the supporting cast were okay, um, nothing really stand out too much. Uh, probably the the biggest character in the supporting cast was a character called Lupton, played by John Durth, and um, he was okay. I found him a bit. I found his acting to be a bit OTT when it didn't necessarily call for it to be, you know, played in that way. Um, but he was okay. So that was a cast. The cast was okay. John Pertwee was really really good, um, and Sarah Jane Smith was cool. The setup for this story, it's essentially humans versus spiders. It's <laughs> the only way I can describe it in a in a in a one-liner. It kind of starts off with, again, as it's very common in classic Doctor Who, in rural England somewhere, in a very big stately home. Uh, there's um, it's like this meditation kind of place, um, and uh, the uh, the character Mike um, Mike Yates from a previous episode. Um, who was actually part of unit is discharged and now he's you know in this place and um, 
he knows that something isn't right. There's this group of people in there who are who are up to no good. So he, he calls upon Sarah Jane Smith and you know, once Sarah Jane Smith gets involved, then the doctor gets involved and it's just snowballs from there. Um Yeah, so it's it's kind of weird how the doctor kind of gets involved really because um you know, he's kind of minding his own business for once. He's he's in he's in the lab, he's doing his thing. Um yeah, and it's really Sarah Jane who's the who's the catalyst to get the doctor involved and stuff. On this planet, um called uh, Metabellus 3. It's basically run by spiders. Now there are humans on this planet as well, but they're kind of, they live in fear of the spiders. So they're not really, they don't really prosper. They're kind of like these little clans, if you like. But the the guys in the, um, in the meditation home, meditation home? That makes it sound like they're kind of OAPs. Um, <laughs> the guys in the meditation center i guess um they're kind of down in the cellar doing these charts and stuff and they're actually communicating with the spiders on metabellus 3 um, and it's not until one of the guys gets transported there that the story really kicks off because um he then goes to he then brings the spider back to earth with him and then yeah because the, the, these spiders are after this particular crystal um which the doctor stole many many years ago so the this big queen spider uh, basically wants the crystal back for her for her great plan. So she sends this guy Lupton. So what happens is these spiders they jump on your back and then they they kind of morph into you. They turn invisible, but they control your mind. And they don't take over. They don't take over your mind completely, but um, you know they they get you to do their bidding kind of thing. And I think there was inspiration um, drawn on this story for one of the Russell T. Davis uh, stories um, which featured heavily uh, with Donna Noble which I'm pretty sure was called uh, Turn Left where she had this um, kind of strange spidery crab thing on her back but other people couldn't see it so it was a very similar concept so I'm sure that uh, Russell T. Davis would have drawn inspiration from this but yeah so the spiders they kind of uh, they get you to do their bidding so as you can imagine the doctor gets caught up in this um, they end up on Metabellus three, um, and it's that that's for me where the story kind of if I if I had to give one criticism of the story, it's where um, once the Doctor and Sarah are on that planet, um, it kind of moves a bit slowly from there because um, the 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 objective for the spiders is to get the crystal, um, which is on Earth, um, but it takes them a very long time in order to get to earth to try and get the crystal um so i think maybe this could have been done in four episodes as opposed to six um but yeah that if i if i had to give a criticism of the story and the pacing and stuff um then yeah it could, it could have been done in four um so essentially what happens is the 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 doctor stumbles upon this this big queen spider which i'm i think they refer to as the great one yeah the great one and um you know he he kind of gets exposed a little bit for the first time in his in his life as that character anyway is as part of his fear his greatest fear and and based on that he he has to make a really tough decision towards the end of the story but in in you know before that um they kind of get a little help from 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 the one of the tibetan uh, guys who's running this meditation center a character called cho j choji 
yeah, which is a really old Tibetan guy. And it turns out that the Doctor knows this character. Um, he was one of um, he actually taught the Doctor, um, kind of like a guru kind of thing, um, many 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 years ago, which the Doctor didn't recognise at first. Um, but it turns out that this particular character is a Time Lord, which I was, I th- I found that to be a really good part of the story, a really nice little twist because. Um, with the exception of the master, you don't really see many other time lords running around. Um, so yeah, so this character was actually a time lord and chose to, and chose a different way of life um, in a in a very similar way that the Doctor did. And there is quite a nice jokey little uh, part between them where he explains that you know I, I, you know we 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 chose separate lives from the time lords, and he's kind of like this little amusing bit where he's like, well, you know possibly I wouldn't have gone down your route of, of stealing a TARDIS kind of thing That was, <laughs> and they have like a little chuckle and stuff um, and uh, and it's very very cool because we actually get two regenerations um, in this story because um, as I said this is John Pertwee's last story so um, a regeneration for him is inevitable but this other Time Lord um, Cho Jay, he actually regenerates as well into it's kind of weird because there's a younger Tibetan guy um, called Ken Po, who's kind of overseeing this Tibetan meditation center, and it turns out that I'm, I, I, I think I got this bit correct, but it turns out that he wasn't really there. He was more of a, a forerunner to what um, Cho Ji would be when he regenerates. It's kind of weird. It's a bit timey wimey, and um, yeah. So when Cho Ji actually regenerates, he re- he becomes Ten Po. Uh, sorry, Ken Po. Um, so yeah, we get two gen- uh, regenerations, which is very cool. Um, so before that, um, the Doctor actually returns the crystal to Metabellus Three, goes to see the Great One. She's got this master plan that she's constructed this um, huge kind of crystal made up of tiny little crystals. And by doing that, um, her brain matter and her thoughts will be able to encompass the universe and she'll be able to control everything. Um, and the Doctor then tries to the doctor tries to convince, you know, convince her otherwise um, that this isn't going to work. She doesn't listen. She takes the crystal, as the doctor rightly said, it doesn't work. Um, but the trouble is, this particular uh, cave system where the great one, this this queen spider, is living, um, because of the, I assume it's something to do with the radioactivity or whatever they're given off by these crystals, um, it kind of breaks down the cells in human bodies or or any other body for that matter, and you begin to die. So because the Doctor's been exposed to it, that's what triggers his his kind of death cycle and his regeneration. And that's basically the story. Like I said, in a one-liner, it's like spiders versus humans. Um, so overall, I kind of thought the story was, like I said, it could have been condensed a little bit. It didn't really need to go on for six episodes, but it's very, very good. It's a, it's a very good story, and I really enjoyed um, John Pertwee in this. And like I said earlier, he's got this very confident, assured way about him, which is really good. The spiders were quite well done. They're all models. None of them are, you know, obviously back at that time, you wouldn't have been able to have half a dozen uh, CG spiders running around. It just wasn't possible at the time. So they're all models, which is, you know, if you've, if you've spoken to any Classic Who fans, they'll, you know, they'll all tell you that that's part of the appeal of Classic Who, these kind of cheap sets and cheapish looking models but these spiders were actually done pretty well in terms of how they look I mean uh, they were done pretty well the only thing that was restricted on them was their movement yeah but I, I'm assuming because of budget restraints they couldn't make these 
you know, quite crazy models that actually moved. So they do kind of bob up and down and they turn a little bit and that's your lot. And I think um, when they showed the spiders moving along the floor, I'm going to take a guess at this one that it was just some fishing line pulling them along and then um, there's like these little triggers that make their legs flick slightly. So, you know, it wasn't great, but that's expected to be, you know, the case with Classic Who. Um, so the, the spiders were done well. There was a little bit of blue screen stuff in there, which, you know, as expected at the time, it's pretty basic. Um, but I enjoyed the overall story. It was quite cool. Um, and I liked the little um, I liked the little additional Time Lord characters that were in there. Um, I thought that was quite cool. Um, and then moving on to the, obviously, the the um, the important part of the... Well, one of the important parts of the story at the end where uh, the Doctor regenerates. Uh, I thought that was quite... It, for me, it was well written because it matched the other elements of this story. And that is, it was quite an understated uh, regeneration, um, which you typically found with Classic Who. But to me, this all kind of linked together with... Um, John Pertwee wasn't really zany or quirky in any way in this one. Sarah Jane was, you know, kind of did her job um, pretty well. Actually, yeah, before I move on to that, I just want to mention Sarah Jane's character and what I said earlier about her being quite scary at one point. While she's on Metabellis 3, um, the Queen Spider actually does um, start to control her, she, but you don't know about it at the time, which is quite well done. It's quite a nice little twist where she kind of encourages the Doctor and so on to go back to Earth to get the crystal. Um, or back to Earth to escape initially. And then when they go back and they see uh, Cho Jay, they actually start talking and it turns out that he's got the crystal. And then as soon as Sarah Jane sees that he has the crystal, her 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 persona and her, you know everything just changes immediately and you can tell that she's being controlled. And it's the way that she plays it is actually a little bit creepy. She does it very, very well um, because where she's talking, it's another voice coming out of her really. Um so that was quite cool. I just wanted to mention that that was a that was a kind of a cool twist, and uh, I really liked how that was done. But yeah, so the regeneration it was really understated because um, it linked John Pertwee's understated performance with the kind of calm, uh, kind of to the point pacing and stuff. And there wasn't much in the way of action really. There was a couple of little fight scenes here and there, but there was nothing too too mad. So it, it actually fit in with the rest of the story and. Yeah, I'm not these these classic regenerations. They are very slow and you know and, and quite calm in, in how they do it. Versus like the newer stuff where where you see like the regeneration energy like exploding out of people with nice big yellow, big yellowy vapor and stuff. It's you know complete opposite. The doctor is alive. No, you're wrong. He's dead. All the cells of his body have been devastated by the metabolus crystals, but you forget. He is a Time Lord. I will give the process a little push and the cells will regenerate. He will become a new man. Literally? Of course, he will look quite different. Not again. And it will shake up the brain cells a little. You may find his behavior somewhat erratic. Well, when will all this happen? Well, there's no time like the present, is there? Goodbye. Look after him. Now, wait a moment. Look, Brigadier, look. I think it's starting. Well, here we go again.
and it's yeah, it's just it's quite a nice a nice scene actually where Sarah Jane's obviously really upset because she doesn't want the doctor to die, and the doctor's like, you know, you know, why are you upset? You know, tears, Sarah Jane. You know, it's kind of it's quite slow and sad. Um, and then as uh, something that we that I haven't really seen that much of in in Doctor Who is, and it's the first time for me anyway where I've. I've seen. I think it is anyway. Well, there's been a regeneration where you haven't seen like a a new expression or a one-liner from the new Doctor. Uh, so John Pertwee is you know just laid out, um, and then it transitions into Tom Baker, but you don't see him doing anything. It's um, Tom Baker just lying there, and then it then that's it. It's done. Uh, so yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. I thought I would have thought that with other you know, regenerations that I've seen where the Doctor regenerates and then before the end of the episode you get the new Doctor giving you at least a one-liner or something. So this one was, you know, it really did leave you in suspense if you didn't know. I imagine at the time, back in the 70s, it would have been very much of a cliffhanger because if you weren't really aware of Tom Baker that much or, you know, I don't think he'd been in that much at all before then, um, you were kind of thinking, well, who's this guy? Who's this guy? You know, what's he going to be like? Um, so that was quite cool. So overall, Planet of the Spiders, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought John Pertwee was really good, and I'm really getting into Pertwee a little bit more. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, he's still he's still not in my, you know, topping the list for classic Doctors, but I am really enjoying what he, what he did with the role. And Planet of the Spiders, I'd probably, out of 10, I would give it a... I would give it a 7. So it wasn't amazing, it definitely wasn't poor, but I thought it was very good, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, so that wraps up the classic retro for this week. That wraps up episode five of the Big Blue Box podcast. Thank you once again for joining me. Really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll put some links in the show notes for you so you can go and check out some of the cool stuff. Really recommend going and watching the Hillywood show, Doctor Who parody. It's really funny and really well done. I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts as well on the collectible subject. How did you start your collection? Do you still collect? Where do you get your stuff from? Do you prefer online or going out and shopping or a bit of both? Um, I'd just be really interested to find out. And also pop some pictures on of your collection as well. Um, I'd really love to see what you guys are in your in your certain phase of collecting or where you are and there's anything else you want to grab or if there's anything that you want to get that you can't get hold of is there any kind of rare collectibles or anything that you you want to find but you just haven't found it on ebay yet or anything like that i'd be really interested to know so you can find me on the usual social channels you can find me on twitter uh, the address is at big blue box pcast um, just to make sure that you uh you get that address right because i had to shorten it a bit to fit it on twitter so it's not um big blue box podcast it's at Big Blue Box Pcast. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Big Blue Box Podcast. And also you can find um, all of these podcasts and some other bits and pieces over at the site, www.bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk. I will see you next time, but until then, Alonzi! Yeah.